Welcome to the Make Books Travel podcast. I'm Marlene Seegers, co-founder of Two Seas Agency, a California-based literary agency that represents publishers, agents, and a select number of authors from around the world. On this podcast, I'll be interviewing international publishing professionals with the intention to share with you, listeners, an insider's look into how books travel, from manuscript to published book, from one language to another, or from page to screen. Enjoy! Here we are, episode number six of the Make Books Travel podcast. After having interviewed publishing professionals from Mexico, Spain, and Germany, I now wanted to focus on a country in Asia. I'm truly delighted to be joined today by Gloria Mazdeu, who works for the Rights Department of the Thinkingdom Media Group in China. The first time Gloria and I met in person was at the Beijing Book Fair many, many years ago, when I sold rights for Edition Stock in Paris. Now, that really seems like another lifetime to me. On a personal level, that Beijing trip turned out to be a life-altering experience. But that's another story, perhaps for another podcast. For now, without further ado, here's Gloria Mazdu. Hey, Gloria, thank you for joining me. Hi, Marlene. Thank you for getting in touch with me. I'm very excited to have you as my guest. Um, first of all, can you tell me once and for all how to pronounce your last name? I just want to make sure I get it right for the introduction. Yeah, many people ask me this question, actually. Um, is pronounced Masdeu? Right, Masdeu. Mm. In Dutch, it's Uy, so I, I would have pronounced it must do or must do. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you. I, no I, I will. Now that I have this recorded, I will also no longer have an excuse to mispronounce it. So thank <laughs> you for that. <laughs> so between the two of us, there's a 15 hour time difference, uh, which means now it's 9.22 a.m. in the morning on Friday, May 15 for you in Beijing, yeah. China. Whereas it's 6.22 p.m. on May 14 here in California. I'm winding down my day and yours is just getting started. <laughs> now, if I'm not mistaken, the last time we saw each other in person was in New York during the um, 2018 Book Expo slash New York Rights Fair. And I remember we ended up spending some really good quality time together outside of the fair um, with a few people. There was my husband, Derek, um, a few others, and we visited the Whitney Museum in Manhattan. And that really seems like it was another lifetime, doesn't it? Yeah, it feels like a long time ago, um, I know. <laughs> almost like another life. Um, yeah. yeah, I remember. I remember that day very well too. Mm. Yeah, it was such good memories. And anyway, let's hope we can get to do that again sometime in the not too distant future. Um, but yeah, I've been wanting to talk to you to discuss the current state of the Chinese publishing industry especially in light of the coronavirus pandemic. But before we dive into that, um, could you please introduce yourself briefly to our listeners and outline your publishing career so far? Mm, of course, uh, I'd be happy to, to do that. Um, I'm Spanish, I'm from Barcelona, and I have been living in Beijing for 10 years now. 
Uh, my career in publishing started almost 20 years ago. I cannot believe that. <laughs> um, quickly. <laughs> yes. At that time, I was still studying at university. I was studying history, and I knew like the prospects to find a job were quite difficult. So I decided to look for a part-time job. And I was lucky to get this position as a receptionist at the Carmen Balsais Literary Agency, which is the most important literary agency for Spanish language authors. Uh, In Barcelona, right? That's right. It's in Barcelona. So I started working there part-time in the afternoons as a receptionist. Mm -hmm. And uh, honestly, I had no idea what a literary agency was. (laughs) (laughs) but it was just fascinating to discover all that's behind uh, a book published Um, Mm -hmm. and it was also fascinating to be in such a place like when you enter that office there were pictures of all the writers that they represent and then you could see the faces of Garcia Marquez yeah. Pablo Neruda they have quite author. a few yeah they have quite a few um important voices of um Spanish language literature right mm, exactly so this was my first step in in publishing and um when I finished my studies, I studied and I could work full time. There was a vacancy at the domestic rights department, so I moved there. Um, and then I worked there for three, four years until I, I got a chance to join the foreign rights department. Hmm. <clears throat> so we were selling rights of the Spanish language authors abroad, and um, <clears throat> and I, I also I like that from the very first moment, like to uh, be part of the process of a book being translated into different languages and getting to work with people from all around the world. Um, I really enjoyed that. And I think in in total, I I worked in the agency for 10 years until I I moved to China. Mm -hmm. Right. And what, what brought you to moving to China? Actually, it's, it's linked to that previous job at the Carmen Balsais Agency. Um, for many years, I really wanted to live abroad. Uh, I missed the, the chance to join the Erasmus program, which was very popular at the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I, I had the chance to visit many friends who joined the Erasmus program in different countries in Europe. And uh, I really wanted to have that experience of living in another country and learning another language. But it never crossed my mind that that place would be Beijing or China. (laughs) (laughs) So what happened? How did you end up there? As I said, it was linked with the job I had previously, uh, the Carmen Balsais agency uh, working at the foreign rights department Um, at that time that was around 2005 Uh, my Mm -hmm. boss at that time uh, she decided that it was time to work much proactively and closer with China Mm -hmm. Uh, because before that we have been working but more passively because it was still a very opaque 
market to work with and there was yes. a huge concern of piracy and all but then some changes started to happen like in the 90s they signed the universal copyright convention and then mm-hmm. at the begin in the 2000s the first private publishing houses started and they brought a lot of of uh, dynamism so things were changing and opening up so my boss felt it was time to explore um and also we had a big mission which was to sell the to sell officially and legally the rights of uh, Garcia Market in China wow okay that's quite a mission <laughs> that's yeah it was there was like uh many many piracy editions of Garcia Market books in China but no legal edition yet right so we wanted to find uh the best candidate so so this is how we started to to uh, work closer with Chinese publishing houses and get to know them better meeting them in book fair so it was a big focus of my work mm-hmm. and then i made a couple of trips to china too i think actually i met you in one of those trips is the first time i met you you think i'm not sure yeah i can't in i know we've known each other for, yeah i think it may have been when you were already living in china but Yeah, it it was definitely in Beijing when we first met. <laughs> exactly. At that time you were still working at the stock, I remember. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um so yeah, I made a couple of trips and uh, I even uh got a grant to spend a summer here in Beijing and study Chinese. Because uh, did you study did you speak any Chinese at that point when you started going to to China on trips? No, not really. Not really. Mm. Um it was one of uh, um maybe two years before moving here that I spent one summer to study Chinese with a grant. Mm-hmm. And uh, my boss at that time, she was very supportive. Uh, she allowed me to stay here for Great. almost two months and i'm very grateful for that i have to say <laughs> hmm. so this is how the 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 connection with china started and i was really fascinated by china and beijing and um slowly kind of um yeah fell in love with it mhm And then at some point you decided to to stay in in China. Well, it happened that at some point I just started to express openly to people that I will, you know, I would like to live in China for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and some people was listening and and I received a job offer uh from a publishing house in China and I decided to accept it. Great. Hmm. Good opportunity. And when was that? Which uh, year? That was in 2010. Okay. Right. So it's been 10 years. Yeah. Wow. And how uh, so we we spoke a little bit already about you not speaking Chinese when you started going there. How what was it like um for you to to move to China from a western country um was it difficult for you to adapt I mean you just said that you started falling in love with it so you were obviously motivated 
to uh, to live there. Uh, but I can imagine that you had some hurdles to overcome besides learning a completely new language and a totally different alphabet, right? Oh, that's that's right. Um, uh, there were, of course, many moments of uh, frustration and and isolation and loneliness. That's for sure. But I tend to forget because um, that always those moments were also very much mixed with all the excitement of being in a in an unknown place and with all the discovery and and with the freedom of being anonymous. So hmm. all comes together. So I, I, I actually tend to forget like the really difficult moments. Um, also Beijing, you've been in Beijing. Beijing is, mm -hmm. is quite a relaxed place. Like even if it's a huge city, it's quite relaxed. I was going to say, I, I, that's not my memory, but... <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> then again, it's, uh, yeah, I, I mostly, most, most of what I saw was the, the fair and the surroundings, which is... Oh, that's not um, relaxed. Yes. No. <laughs> no, I do know that there are also very nice parts of Beijing. No, I, I, I'm exaggerating a little. <laughs> yeah, no, probably that's the roughest mm -hmm. part of Beijing. <laughs> the, the, yeah. Uh, okay, next time I take you to the more relaxed places. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did. I did see some in the very in the very city center uh, mm. with the hutans or what do you call them? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's let's um, look at what what the, the current situation is, or or, um, or this year um, rather. What measures? Could you walk us through the measures that were taken in response to the coronavirus in China or or in Beijing, at least, which um, I believe peaked in February already? Um, from what I've read, I believe that the country was on lockdown for about three months or maybe even a bit more. <clears throat> That's right. Uh, actually, they started on on at the end of January. On the 23rd of January, the city of Wuhan was shut down. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the country was locked down, but not with the same restrictions that Wuhan faced. Uh, so the restrictions in, in Beijing and the rest of China were not as draconian as it was as they were in, in Wuhan. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's still like, yeah, we were asked to stay at home and to work remotely, all shops and schools and uh big venues were shut down um, uh, we could only go out to like for small works or for to buy groceries and to the pharmacies but the parks were open for instance and the public transport even if it was reduced it was still open so okay so it was not as as hard as it was in Wuhan mm. And when um, when did it reopen? Because I believe the country has has reopened. Um, do, do you have do you still have certain measures in place in Beijing? Right, it's it's reopening. It has been reopening very slowly, and I think Beijing and Wuhan are probably the places where it's taking longer to all the measures to get removed. But in mm -hmm. Beijing, for instance, the big difference was at the end of April, uh, it was announced that people could, for instance, visit their friends and family in their houses 
most of uh, all of cafes and bars were opened again. Uh, the shops were already opened for, for a little bit before. Mm-hmm. And then you could travel within China without having to go through quarantine. So after that, people really felt that it was safe and there was a big change, like life was back to the streets again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's still some measures, like it's mandatory to wear masks. Uh, you still need to lock in and take temperature when you enter in many restaurants and bars and shops or okay or residential compounds where you don't live. Mm-hmm. So there's still many measures. Um, and also, like, for instance, foreigners are still not allowed to enter China, even if they have current visas. Mm-hmm. At all these measures, I don't, we really don't know when they're, when they're going to be. Able, yeah. mm-hmm. But for the rest, it's pretty much like, yeah, in full swing. Yeah. Okay. And so apart from having to work from home, how did the lockdown impact your work for, for Thinkingdom? Did you continue to acquire and publish books or did everything come to a standstill for a while? I mean, I know that it, it the, the, the start of the lockdown, if you say it was end of January, it kind of coincided also with the Chinese New Year, which is usually a long break, right? The outbreak actually happened when, and the lockdown, when we were still on holidays. So that gave us at least nine days to kind of mentally get ready for what was coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I actually was fascinated by the, how effective and fast was the move to work remotely. Okay. Uh, myself, I'm used to it uh, because I travel a lot and I used to work remotely when I worked for Shanghai 99, so I'm used, but I was fascinated to see how the whole team moved to work remotely in such an effective and fast way. Um, so that's been good. Uh, in terms of acquisitions, um, We've been active, but it's true that the rhythm is different. Um, it's a bit slow, it's lower. Mm-hmm. I guess it also has to do with the lockdown now happening, like later on happening in the rest of the countries. The whole rhythm has been uh, has been a slowing. Right. So there haven't there have been less books offered to you, so to speak. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a slower, and also with the book first cancelled, I think yeah. that also yeah. had a, an impact on the user rhythm. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. No, and, I understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's talk a bit about the, the Chinese book market. Um, mm-hmm. be, before the pandemic, what, what was the market share in China uh, in terms of sales for, for e-books and audiobooks versus physical book sales and you don't have to have like specific numbers uh, you can give estimates if you, if you don't have anything else yeah i cannot give you a specific numbers because i <laughs> <No>. don't know <laughs> but but i know that for instance ebooks uh is not such a big market as it can be in us mm. i just throw a, a figure like it's not an uh, accurate one but i would say maybe 10 percent, but maybe not even that Right. Okay. At least for the foreign auth- for foreign authors, um, and then audiobook is really just emerging now. 
so it's, it's, it's still the market share, I think, is still very, very low because it's, for instance, in Think Kingdom, um, we just started last year with audiobooks and we are going to double our program of audiobooks for this year. So it's growing, but it's still very right. small. Uh huh. Mm. And did you notice or uh, do you think there was an increase in demand and, and in, therefore also in sales in the, in the digital format? So ebooks and, and digital audiobooks during the lockdown? Because obviously physical bookstores were closed. Right. Yeah, there was definitely an increase. Um, my colleagues say that around 20% increase. Average okay. of both ebooks mm. and audiobooks. That was especially in February and March. But then in April, it slowed down again mm -hmm. a little bit. But still, the, the percentage is higher than it was, for instance, one year ago. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a tendency, yeah, of like, yeah. keep growing. Mm -hmm. And um, where, where did Chinese tend to buy their books before the pandemic? Um, was it mostly online via the Chinese equivalent of Amazon? I forgot the name. Or did most people still buy their books in physical bookstores? Uh, actually, it's in recent years, uh, online sales uh, is main, the main channel in China. Okay. has been the main channel, I think, at least for two, three years or even more. Uh, in 2019, or I think around 70%, or maybe not that uh, high, but 60-70% of sales were online. Wow. And, and what, if I may ask, which, which online um, store did, do, do Chinese buy their books on? Because I think Amazon does not exist in China, right? It does exist, but it doesn't have a, a strong a big... influence, yeah. Okay, so what, is there another platform that people tend to go to, or is it all kind of there's, different? There's many, uh, but maybe mm -hmm. there's two or three that are the biggest ones, which are Dangdang and mm -hmm. uh, Jindong, and then Tmall, that is like connected to Taobao, Alipay. Um, mm -hmm. I think these are the three biggest ones. Probably Dangdang is the biggest one. Right, okay. So... So, so, so these channels have been growing also during the pandemic even more. Mm -hmm. I can imagine. And are, that, that's a really impressive number, by the way, 60 to 70% of, of um, sales already happened online be, before the start of the pandemic. Because mm -hmm. uh, I, I wanted to ask you about the presence of independent bookstores in China? Because in, in previous episodes, we've seen that in certain markets like Spain and Germany, and I, I also know that in France, independent bookstores are a very important component of the book market with um, it, you know, personalized recommendations and um, yeah, much more care than... than um, uh, than, than the stores, uh, the sorry, the chains tend to give. Uh, are there any independent bookstores in China? And if that's the case, could you tell us a bit more about their role in the market? Mm. Yeah, there's independent bookstores in in China. Uh, actually, Think Kingdom, for instance, has a couple of uh, bookstores in in Beijing. 
Oh, they're the owner of uh, a bookstore. Okay. A couple of bookstores. Yeah. A couple. Okay. Mm-hmm. Next time you come, I, 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 I take you there. They are beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's independent bookstores in China. and uh, But the, I don't know, maybe the market share is maybe around 15%. So it's, uh, it's actually not that. In terms of sales, it doesn't have such a... They are not such a major players. Mm-hmm. But okay. Right. I have, um, Sorry? Yeah, I have to say that for recent years, there's been a tendency in China, there's, a, there's been an increase of independent bookstores. Really? Yeah, that's quite fascinating. <laughs> mm. um, that's, good to, that's good to hear. People tend to look more now for personalized advice and and want to actually go to a physical bookstore? Yeah, I think they like to have that experience of going to a bookstore. Many years ago, the bookstores in China were mainly linked to the big state-owned chain called Xinhua, and they were kind of very old-fashioned bookstores. So Mm -hmm. young young people really wanted to have this experience to go to cool bookstores like um yeah uh, and i i it's 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 been um a trend like and for instance in some shopping malls and some cultural districts they offer lower rents for bookstores to establish ah. themselves so i think that helps because really in terms of uh, in terms of profit i'm not sure Yes, uh, yeah, how, well how easy mm. it is, but there's been these mm. initiatives of giving lower rents for bookstores, and that's been quite interesting to see. Yeah, that's great to hear. Mm. Huh. That's, uh, that's, that's wonderful. Um, now, I know this is a tough question, and you don't have to answer if you prefer not to, but what do you think will be the mid to long term consequences of the crisis that we're in or that we've re- coming out of or i don't know we're I'm probably still in the middle of uh, mm. for the chinese book market i think there's going to definitely going to be an increase on the ebook and audio mm-hmm. also on online sales at least mm. on the short term uh, right. that's for sure um i also think that people is is getting also more um, uh, conscious of how important it is to have bookstores, physical bookstores. Mm-hmm. So I can imagine that there's going to be new initiatives and and people is going to reinvent maybe ways of how to make bookstores um, survive. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's going to be interesting to see too, if if it happens. That I hope it does. Hmm. Uh, I think maybe an increase of original content, like from Chinese authors. Yes. I mean, uh, yeah, I have the feeling that this was already a little bit of um, a, a tendency, right, for the last couple of years. That is right, and I think probably it will increase more now because, yeah, it's easier probably for promotion and everything. Now it's more convenient to have local authors. Um, right. So I, I guess there's going to be a, an increase on that too. Hmm. 
Um, Interesting. In terms of content, I, I really don't know. Uh, I have no idea. Maybe more books on environment or nature. I, I really don't know. Mm, yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's hope so <laughs> that that's going to be a, that's going to be a, a more popular genre. Um, now let's let's stop talking about this uh, the whole virus situation and um, let's talk about books. Which mm. book are you currently reading and enjoying, or or have you recently read and enjoyed besides the one that's that you're involved with as an as an editor? Mm. Currently, and it's been already a while since I'm reading it because it's in Chinese. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm really very slow reading in Chinese. Is a classic, is a modern classic uh, author called uh, Shen Zongwen, and is published actually in English. He he wrote a short novel called Border Town. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's is a very poetic and very vivid. A uh, short novel describes the life of a young girl in a river town in rural China before the communist revolution. is is just very poetic and beautiful. Um, mm. So I'm enjoying this very much. All right, I'm impressed that that yeah you 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 read classics in in Chinese. It's. Uh... <laughs> It's well, uh, yeah. I, I, I think I, I think I would need a lifetime to to master that language. But uh, anyway, it's uh, well. I have been with this book. I don't know for the whole pandemic. I think I've been reading this book. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the, the book that pulled you through. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well gloria it's it's been it's been a real pleasure um i um I, I wanted to ask do you have any last thoughts that you want to share with me and with the listeners all the thoughts that i had lately they they have been changing from one week to the other <laughs> <laughs> but um I don't. I like like just now doing this and talking with you. Um, I think there's been a change, not only professionally but also in personal relationships. It, it, there's been a change in the way I communicate with people, and I'm having conversations with uh, an intensity that uh, probably I didn't have before. Uh, and and that's very interesting to see. And there's other things that we are changing. Um, ways we are doing in different ways now and some of them might be good uh so i i hope we can pay attention to these ones that that can be for good yeah that that may stick around once we once we're uh, back to normal whatever Mm. normal or the new normal will Mm. be and uh, i agree with you it's uh about the the communication part it's been um of course it was devastating when the london book fair was cancelled and um not to see so many people that you usually see every six months or every year and uh i yeah i've been very happy to just connect with with most of the people that i was supposed to see um through well through the podcast or through zoom or whatsapp or whichever other means there is and as you say the conversations have been a lot intenser and a lot deeper than what you would usually expect um during a you know a business call that that you would make it's just something that 
brings us all together, no matter where we are. And uh, that's let's hope that we'll continue uh, that way once we also start to be able to meet each other in person again. That mm-hmm. it's not just... I've noticed that I... Before I may I may have thought, oh, I need to speak to this and this person. Oh, I'll meet them in London or I'll meet them in Frankfurt. And then I left it at that. And indeed, I would meet them in Frankfurt or London. But now I'm more like, okay, let's give this person a call now. Exactly. Why wait? <laughs> it's uh, yeah, that was kind of a realization that I had, and um, so that's that's a that's a good outcome. That's basically. a good thing. Yeah. Mm-mm, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Gloria. I've had so much fun and uh, and also I learned a lot during this conversation. Thank you for your time and um, I hope we can do this again sometime maybe next year and talk about everything that has changed in the meantime. And as I said earlier, let's hope we can also see each other again soon in person. Thank you very much, Barlene. This was uh, This was fun. And yeah, I would love to do this again in one year. Like I, I, I really would like to see how things are in uh, one year ahead. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a deal then too. I'll come to China. You show me all the nice bookshops and then we'll, we'll meet again here on the podcast in a year. Yeah. All right, Gloria. Mm. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Make Books Travel podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Check out the agency's website, 2CsAgency.com, for more information and resources about the international publishing scene. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a positive review. Merci et à la prochaine!